this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Okay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, speaking of the union, we've got a union member joining us for this particular episode. I believe it is his first time joining us on the program. We need to welcome from just up the road from me in uh, Columbus, Ohio, Mr. Mike Bankhead. Mike, how you doing in other parts of Ohio? All right. I'm, I'm excited for this. I, yeah. Tell everyone where you're at. I, I want to, because we got to celebrate your city. Sure. I love my city. Now, uh, we're going to go, since you uh, and Jay and Tim have both lived in Ohio, I can go specific for you. I grew up in Xenia. I mm. live in Fairborn, but for anyone not from Ohio, I just say I'm from Dayton. You all might know Dayton as home of Guided by Voices, who are having some crazy back-to-back shows here coming up. Mm-hmm. Also home of the Breeders, and if you look back a little further, home of the the big funk scene in the late '70s, Ohio Players Slaves Zap. Yes, etc. Basically, the foundation for what we know as '90s G Funk comes yes, from ohio because absolutely. dr dre sampled so much of that 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 was the essence of uh 90s g-funk was zap and slave and and all those artists ohio players have huge influence and of course um mink a band that we've talked about yes. many many years ago from from dayton and a lot of great bands have come out of uh that area or had played in that area as a part of their ohio rotation which would be Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, and Dayton. Those are like the big four, I think, of in terms of music scenes. Although you can get Akron Canton with like Devo and and the Pretenders and those bands as well. But um, yeah. So if you're here, that only means one thing. That means we're going to talk about a record that you picked. So would you share for our audience the album that you picked for this episode? I picked Black Lab's album, their first album, your body above me and i did this before we put the recording on but since you're recording this is a i actually have this on a delightful lovely compact disc and i've had it since uh since the 90s like this is a very old but i I take care of my compact discs because i love them (laughs) it's good to take care of your of your music and your music will take care of you uh Jay, I believe this has been in a few pay, a, a few polls before, or at least one poll. Maybe is it possible? Yeah, it's come up. I know at least once um, in a poll. I remember this record too. Like, yeah, I remember the album cover. I remember some of the songs. Um, so when it came up in the poll, like it immediately took me back because the the album cover is so distinctive. I was confused because I thought Black Lab was like a hip-hop duo and i might be confusing that with something similar like close but and the album cover doesn't like i thought this was like underground hip-hop when i first saw the album cover and then it was like years later i go oh no this is like an alternative band okay i was completely (laughs) wrong um but i thought this was like 
most deaf and and somebody from their 90s before they went solo or something in the same way that like lp was in company flow before run the jewels or something like that anyway so you had you... you hadn't heard it no i'd not listened to this record until we are checking it out oh okay. dear so how did you discover it mike was this like a random pickup or did you hear it somewhere I heard the open. I heard the lead single, which is called "Wash It Away," which is also uh, track one. I heard that on the radio and loved it, and immediately went out and got the CD. So, kids, I mean, I guess that your listenership probably steers old, uh, skews old enough that they remember that kind of thing. But you know, uh, the only <laughs> way to hear the rest of the record was to go get the record, and I liked it top to bottom from the first listen. And let me just say that I feel about this record the way that, say, Bucks feels about your average uh, Afghan Wigs record, only I won't be as eloquent. <laughs> Nobody can match uh, Bucks's eloquence. She's a wordsmith, and we love her for that. Um, this always felt like a, uh, my memory of this, though, was more of an early 2000s record. I was kind of surprised that it came out in 97. My memory was more of um, seeing it maybe an early iTunes or e-music or one of those early MP3 services. Um, yeah. I'm not sure why, but yeah, I was, I was surprised it's a 97 record. Yeah. I've, I've never had iTunes, so I didn't, I didn't know. You might be thinking they, they had a single on the first Spider-Man movie soundtrack. Okay. And that was a couple of years later. So that mm -hmm. might've put them into the, like mainstream conversation a little bit. Let's talk a little bit of um, history about this band so people know who we are talking about. Uh, they formed in Berkeley, California in 1995 by Paul Durham. And according to Wikipedia, they're still a band. Uh, they're currently based in both Los Angeles and Montana. So it's basically means, just Paul. Got it. Uh, this record came out in 97. It was released on Geffen. Two singles were released, Wash It Away and Time Ago. They both uh, charted. I mean, they both made some impact on radio. Uh, but again, this is 97, end of the decade. So it's pretty fluid in terms of there's a lot of stuff happening with regards to stuff. There aren't dominant, like I want to say there aren't as much dominant stuff like in the early part of the decade where like an album or a single would hang around for weeks and months at a time. It felt like a lot of stuff would pop up and then disappear pretty quick. Um, they, as you mentioned, they had a, the Spider-Man movie that came out. Um, I guess it's the Tobey Maguire, the first one they're on that soundtrack. Um, they re-recorded this record or not re-recorded it. They re-released it as the director's cut in 2006 with two additional songs. And then some of the songs have additional uh, length added to them. Maybe that's what was in iTunes. Jay, when they re-released it, maybe it got released digitally for the, the director's cut version. Not sure. Uh, so for this record, the lineup is, I believe, Michael Belfer on guitar, Jeff Stanfield on bass, Brian Head. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Michael Urbano on drums, but then Brian uh, 
head takes over in 97. So I don't know if who, who's, who played drums on the record, Mike? Does it say on the album notes? Not credited. So the credits on the record are Michael Belfer on guitar, uh, Rose Ebo and keys, Paul Durham, voice and guitar, Jeff Stanfield, bass, guitar, and voice. They don't actually credit a drummer, so it must have been uh, session work and not someone officially in the band. That means it was Josh Freeze. Um, actually, it was. <laughs> Very well could be. <laughs> Josh Freeze was in this band. Are you serious? I'm not joking. <laughs> I think he was often not credited. I, I feel like that too. He um played he was percussion. like I think he was basically the studio go-to when a band came in and didn't have a good rate drummer. He ended up cutting the tracks. So there was a um compilation that was released in 2009 called Give Us Sugar, which included um rarities, non-LP B sides, soundtrack songs. And he plays on three of the songs that are on that compilation that they recorded. Um he, re- he recorded with them in 99. So it was after the second drummer um, was gone, I guess, at that point. And then they've had, uh, I guess, Isaac Carpenter has been the drummer ever since. I don't know. There's been some people through this band. Michael Urbano. I'm reading the very tiny liner notes. And Michael Urbano is credited as drums under additional musicians. Okay. So then Urbano left after this. Um I don't know what he did. He, well, I think he was, a, he must've been a, like a, a session drummer at some, not a session drummer, but he, he was the drummer for John Hyatt in the nineties. And um, he, he also played on, he played with some other bands, including he was like worked with Todd Rundgren. You know who he left this band to play with? Smash Mouth. <laughs> Pulled right from the Discord. Right from the Discord. We just had a big Smash Mouth discussion (laughs) because there's apparently only one member of Smash Mouth left, and it's not the singer. And they're coming to my hometown uh, in a couple weeks for a free outdoor concert at the Powell Festival, which Jay is familiar with, is not exactly the largest festival in Ohio. Um, It's basically like a neighborhood (laughs) party. Yeah. Is it at that pavilion that was? It's at the pavilion. It was essentially in my backyard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So J- so Smash Mouth will be playing in Jay's former backyard <laughs> where we saw a cover band do a pretty solid uh, cover of Roundabout by Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that was funny because they were just doing like alternative songs and then they busted out Roundabout. We're like, okay, sure. Get your Roundabout on. Um, besides this record... Uh, hold on a second. They released See This. So it was a break. And then See the Sun came out in 2005 um, on their own label, blacklabworld.com. And 2007, uh, Passion Leaves a Trace came out. Again, that was on their own dime. And then Two Strangers in 2010, A Raven Has My Heart in 2014, and A New World in 2016. And like I said, there's still some uh, stuff happening. I believe, didn't they have a song out like last year? Like, a, didn't they do a Christmas cover? That I don't remember. I have all of those on CD except for A New World and... It's been pretty much just Paul Durham by himself the last several years, and he's finally releasing an album this year 
that doesn't have the black lab name on it, which is, he's a guy that I think you guys should have on, by the way, just because I love him and his songwriting, but I digress. Well, we'll have to talk to Chip Midnight about that. There's that album, A New World, that you mentioned. There's a song called The Road, and that was actually featured in the TV show Banshee, which I think it was on Showtime, I want to say. And mm-hmm. it, but it featured um, Anthony Starr, who people will know as Homelander, Homelander. Uh, from The Boys on Amazon, which is an excellent show, uh, not family friendly. Let's just put it that way. I'm sure people who know other show know that is true. Also, we are recording tonight. I believe this is the Righteous Gemstones uh, season three. Uh, is that tonight? Season, that's tonight. Oh, I'm to get... excited. Yes. I need a new show. That's great. That's uh, one of the finest shows out there. We got some comments on this episode over at Patreon. Let's take it over to there. And see what our folks at Patreon had to say before we get into this record. Joe Joe Royland said, "Absolutely a worthy album. I saw these guys openers twice as openers twice, and they were great both times. They got dropped before their second album, which is also great. It sat on the shelf for years before the rights reverted back to them, and they put it up as a free download on their website. Oh, okay. Now we know the history, the the backstory of that." Richard Waterman said, "Ah, memories of being seventeen. Love this album when it came out and still fond of it now. Great opening track. The drums have some real pop too. Nice snare sound. Fave tracks. Wash it away. Can't keep the rain. Thin white lie and anything. Some of it reminds me of Vast, who were quite big at the time. Worthy album. Ian McIver. This album sounds like one of those many late 90s alternative bands that music labels would throw against the wall, hope the single sticks. Except a number of others did it better. While there are a few tracks that bump it up to a better EP for me, there is nothing that catches my interest to further investigate their discography, especially given the lineup change for the next album. Okay. Martin K. Plenty of nice moments, but just lacks a bit of oomph. Better EP for me. Darren Leach. Had never heard of this band, but immediately reminded me of those post-grunge movement bands like Tonic, Cool for August, Semisonic, etc., who came out in the mid to late 90s as well. Most of these bands only lasted for one to two albums. While I commend Black Lab for trying something different to come up, uh, some things on the tracks like violin on track one, distorted bass on track two, electronic feel on track three, but then it starts to fall away with track four where the sound is a bit derivative sounding and almost a ballad. Better EP. Jeff Gentis, I agree with Ian and Darren. Also, Gratitude's 2000 Self-Tide is a better version of what these guys are trying to do. Okay, well throw that into the ideas for uh, 2000s albums that we can do as our special episodes. Um, Matt, stop. Man, track one took me back. Stuck in my head all day. Whitney Beeler, this was an album that I inherited from my brother. He and I used to talk about music a lot, but he never mentioned Black Lab. I'm not sure why he never brought them up and why I never listened to this before. Now that I've spent time with it, it's certainly a worthy album. My favorite tracks are Washed Away, All the Money in the World. I get a late 90s cheap trick vibe off this one and bring it on. I think the album's production is terrific. There's well-defined separation between left and right channels. Some come from every, sounds come from everywhere and anywhere. The drums and vocals are recorded wonderfully. For context, I'd compare Black Lab to Better Than Ezra, Live, and Our Lady Peace, particularly in the vocals department. Lead singer Paul Durham channels the front men of all these aforementioned groups at times. Kevin Griffin, Ed Kowalchuk, and Rain Media. So that was the opinion of our patrons. Let's get into our opinions on Your Body Above Me by Black Lab. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about this record. 
I think there's two things going on on this record that work really well. The the album starts, I think, you know, going from tracks one to four. So wash it away. She loves me. X-ray time ago. I think you get a really good sense of, you know, these are well-crafted songs. I think they're at least three of those are pushing for radio appeal. And that's very clear the way that they're written and structured, you know, you can, they sound like a lot of those bands from that time. A lot of the ones mentioned in the comments, I would also mention like Semisonic or Powderfinger. Those were other bands that came to mind on the early part of this record. And it's really, it's really well-written like late nineties, alternative rock, nothing wrong with it. Um, and I remember Wash It Away. I remember Time Ago, I think. Was that a single as well? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, those connected right away. And I got what I sort of got what the band was going to be about. Then you get to Can't Keep the Rain. And for me, the record takes a much more interesting turn after that. Um, the songs that are atmospheric are more atmospheric. There's more tension in them. I think there's more instrument instrumentation that's interesting. And um, when the songs are energetic, I think the energy is up another notch. There's just overall like more drama, more emotion for the most part from tracks five through 12. Um, I think they feel like them just letting themselves be a rock band on the second half of the record verse, I think the first, you know, first quarter there, it feels like these are, we're trying to write songs for the radio and we want these to be right. And we want them to be precise and the performances are nice and the production is great. It's got a nice, we mentioned the drums, good, like natural drum sound. I like how the vocals are produced. They're not like double and triple tracked. You can just hear him as a singer. You know, it just feels like a good, honest rock band album. But there's something about when you get to Can't Keep the Rain and as the record moves forward where everything just feels like a notch up. Is it something you like to do tonight? I got some bridges to burn. I like to fly away tonight for whatever it's worth. The salt out of my eyes can't the heat in the air Baby, you're making the whole thing up Baby, you're not even there Well, I'll call your machine just to hear your voice I know you are listening while I hear all the noise But all of the demons around my bed Call all your name, but they won't shit down But I can't keep it So that song can't keep the rain and all the money in the world. You get a whole other sense of energy from them. I think you get a very different like vocal performance from, from the singer, just trying different phrasings, different voices. There's a sense of urgency in those. You get some songs like anything and thin white line and 10 million years, even gates of the country that, you know, they build, they've got some drama to them. 
there's some really cool instrumentation on them. You know, they, they kind of take the, um, you know, the kind of that slow burn or quiet loud dynamic, and I think expand it a little more than here earlier on the record. And I can hear like other influences coming out in the second half of the record that I don't hear in the first. For example, I started to hear a lot of suede and Brett Anderson and the way he sings. He lets his voice kind of go up into that, like this high register where it almost like cracks, which Brett Anderson does quite a bit. When he gets more aggressive, he sounds a little bit like Brett Anderson when he sings, you know, really loud and aggressive. Um, you also can hear, um, I'm with Whitney, like all, all the money in the world. To me, that sounds like a, a really high quality, cheap trick album track. Like you can start to hear in the second half of the record. I think a little bit more of like some of the bands that they were probably, you know, influenced by or passionate about or liked a lot or drawing on the same influences. I think you hear some of those things come through and it just feels more um, distinctive, I think, uh, in, in those songs uh, than what I remember the band as. And maybe if you just listened and watched it all away in time ago that you would maybe think they're capable of. So I enjoy that quite a bit. I, th- I like that they they surprise me. They take it up a notch. They do some really interesting things um, with tones too. There's some really cool guitar tones on this record. It gets they let they let get things a little nasty and you know weird sounding sometimes in the way that the pedals they use and the way that you know the, the guitar tones are. Um, but it's also very accessible, you know, melodic. You know, there's some solid hooks here throughout. So uh, that's that's what worked for me. I, I enjoyed the both sides of it, you know, and I, and I actually enjoyed them surprising me too. Of like, oh, wow, this band is about more than just that song. What worked for you, Tim? Much of what you said, I, I agree with. I like the diversity of this record, but still staying within a fairly alt-rock uh, template the comparisons to like Our Lady Peace and Semisonic, I think are like the two uh, strongest ones. Um, it's not as clearly poppy as Dan Wilson can get with Semisonic with like Closing Time and Singing in My Sleep and those kind of songs. But it's got an edge to it in the right places. I, th- I feel like the bends have to have been a little bit of an influence on this record. When you hear certain guitar tones the way that they use, uh, you know, like a little bit of like a vibrato or a, or a, a, a delay just reminds me of the atmosphere that songs like planet Telex would have. It's not as over the top as like, okay, okay. Computer, which is, this is the same year as that. So I, I think, I think the UK influence is definitely spot on because I can hear not just suede, but you know, like Radiohead. um, all the money in the world. You mentioned that one. When he gets into like the yelly part, uh, it almost reminded me of Gord Downey from the Tragically Hip when he would like go a little hysterical in, yeah. a, in an up tempo song.
But I appreciate that. I appreciate that he pushed his voice because he could have just done Wash It Away 10 times in a row. Yeah. You know, he kept it like very poppy, straightforward. But I do want to mention that song because this is, sounds like a, a really well put together band. The drum parts in that song, like there are some fills that he puts into the chorus that are unexpected. Like you would think that a, norm, a regular drum would just sort of play through and maybe accent some stuff, but he does some really interesting fills at times um, in that song. And there's stuff like that happening throughout the record where it's just a step above sort of a generic alt rock album. It it gets a little piece here, a little piece there, um, whether it's his vocal and he's got some really good hooks on this record. They're not like, pop hooks you know this isn't 97 we're not talking about the backstreet boys or what have you or spice girls but we're talking about some really good alt rock hooks in the same way that like you know this isn't far off from that second our lady peace record in terms of and he actually has a, a more palatable voice quite honestly than ray media at times because he does that yeah. I, I, you know that stuff and it gets a little <laughs> gets a little annoying um if you listen to it too many times in a row, whereas this is a little bit more restrained. He almost reminded me. Um, I can't remember the, I think his name is Paul as well. The lead singer of Manson. Um, he was in that like vocal range and, and that that's a band. They w- went in some really weird spots with that, that band and that album, but this kind of wants to go there a little bit. So it makes me curious as like, well, where did they go after this? And what's he doing in terms of um, his songwriting style, you know, 20 years later. I'm so, seeing uh, Brian Head may have played drums on this. Um, he has been with Dick Dale mm. and Shelby Lynn are two of the credits he has. So sort of a drummer for hire. And uh, that's who's coming up as being the, the the guy who did the session work. The drums are great. They're, yeah. And they let him play. It's not like, Hey, there's a pop song, like calm it down. There's some stuff on here. That's it's got real energy to it. It's got a real unique feel. Um, and the tone, the drum tones are fantastic. Yeah. Like she loves me is another one where I really like the push and pull of that rhythm for mm-hmm. the song. It's um, I think a, a a mediocre drummer would have like driven it too hard. And he kind of lays back a little bit and mm-hmm. it's got a nice swing to it. Not swing in a thin Lizzy sense, but it just has a nice um, laid back feel. So Mike, you brought this record to us. What works best for you on this album? I'm going to, I'm going to start by acknowledging your love for all the money in the world and mentioning that that's the song on this record that Paul did not write. Oh, that's a, that's a PJ Harvey song that they rearranged and Paul added more words to. Interesting. Huh, what and, album fact, is that from? I don't know. Uh, that I think they didn't want to title it that. I think they wanted to title it The Big Machine and the label made him call it All the Money in the World. 
So if you look at the track list on the director's cut, they might have actually titled it The Big Machine on that. Now I got to go look and see if there's a song called The Big Machine on any of the previous releases to uh, to this. But yeah, before before I mean continue. I don't want to continue until you're done. You're done doing. No, no, no. I'm I'm done. You can you can uh, start right now. All right. Well, I'm a bass player, and I think the bass on this record is immaculate. It is big, which again, I'm a bass player. I'm forever asking to be turned up in the mix, and that's not something that you need on this record because it's there. It's never in the way, and it's never too much. But the the bass is present on every single song and on some of them there are some really unique approaches to complementing the melodic structure and the harmonic structure of the song you you just mentioned um she sleeps with angels hold up no you didn't she loves me was the one i she I loves talking. me i say sleeps with angels is my favorite song of the record but uh, no she loves me it's funny how you i you know because you, you talked about how you like the way the drums pushed and pulled that song and i'm like no no that song that's a bass song like the bass is what's driving the bus on, on, on that song. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of along for their ride um but there isn't a single bass line on this song where i listen to it and think i could have done better <laughs> if uh no i mean that's not probably the best criteria in the world but i i enjoy listening to this and only listening to the bass on awesome of my listens i think the guitar what they've done with it on this is fantastic a lot of these songs have two or three uh separate guitar parts and Michael Balfour's work is one of the things that makes this record feel different than all of their other work because at one point he left the band and you didn't have those interesting lead parts and I'm not even talking about solos but just like interesting riffy stuff going on in one channel um someone mentioned how how beautiful the stereo spread is here and it's it really is you really should listen to this with headphones if you can on a lot of these songs, there's something completely different going on between the guitar on the left and the guitar on the right. And it works. It, it speaks to me of, of they took time to craft these. Um, I mean, Paul's the writer, but obviously he brought them to the band and they were able to build some interesting things around it. I love his voice. He's uh, one of my favorite rock voices. He has at times tongue in, in, tongue in cheek described his singing style as overwrought. And I think that is true sometimes on this record, but it's a lot more true when you listen to some of their later stuff, uh, when there's not quite as much stuff going, there's uh, not not as much bombast from the guitar. And so he, he does more with his voice to really push the emotion. It also seems like 
there's just a hint of melancholy in every single song. And that's something I always enjoy um, because I'm a depressed individual and it makes me feel like I'm not alone, really. But uh, it but it never turned, it never feels like it's despair. Like all these songs have a touch of sadness, but never, it doesn't feel like it goes too far. And I would like to know how in the world they managed to pull that off. Uh, but one of the things I said before we started the recording was, I never, when people say, what are your 10 favorite albums? I never think of this one, but really this would be in my top 10 favorite albums of all time. And it's not 10. Uh, I, there's only one song on here that I would say might not fit. And I'm, well, I guess I'll let you guess what that is, but I love this record. Uh, I just want to agree with you on the bass tone. Like it's about as perfect a bass tone as you can get. It's got a little bit of grit on some of the songs. He's a great player. I mean, there are some really, not everything is like complicated, but just finding really interesting bass lines across the record. I mean, he's carrying some songs like 10 million years and yeah. It's and just with angels. Yeah. It, and it's, it's like thick and it's got a, but you can hear all the notes and it's just such a great bass tone. And it's mixed knowing like, Hey, there's some killer bass tracks on this record. Let's, let's make sure that carries the record, which I, I think it does. I, I totally agree with both of you that it's sort of the meat here through all these songs and the drummer's doing a great job playing, you know, making it tight, you know, adding some flourishes here and there. I think they have a great chemistry and feel. Um, Can't Keep the Rain, I think, is a great example of just, there's just like this weird, I don't know how to describe it, almost like a sh- skip feel to it. Like it just has this momentum to it, the way that the bass and the the drums are kind of grooving on that song. And uh, I'm just a big fan of get a great bass tone, get it right in the mix, make the parts work with the vocal. And then everything else starts to get easy. Like the, the guitars can do all kinds of strange things and play in strange tones that you normally probably wouldn't use or think are too harsh or whatever. But like, if you just, and you know how to mix that and you just let those other things, they can fill up all this other space and just bring this atmosphere and um other dimensions to it but the core of the songs are there if the bass lines tone and the vocal is strong which i think they you know nail pretty consistently throughout this record yeah they, they also do a lot of the uh standard 90s loud quiet loud playing with dynamics mm-hmm. but not necessarily super formulaic in that approach like it's not like the choruses are always loud or the verses are always quiet uh a lot of these build and they'll go quiet when you don't expect them to, or they'll go loud when you don't expect them to, which I think mm. is pretty cool. Yep. You don't always know either that they're what they're going to do. I think for me, the quiet loud thing is less effective when you can totally anticipate it. Cause I think one of the things I love about rock music in general is that it, it's about creating anticipation. And then right when you think something is going to happen, you do something slightly different. And that's like where the dopamine hit comes from in this style of music. And with this band, yeah, I think they do the soft loud, obviously, but you don't always know in some of these slow verses of like, you know, where we're going. And then you start to see it appear and it takes a little turn. And you're like, oh, that was nice. I didn't expect that. Or, you know, whereas some bands that don't do it well, you're like, okay, this is, 
and three and, and you know on the floor he's going to hit in the distortion pedal and here we go like you don't always know that's going to happen with this band i i want to mention you mentioned uh can't keep the rain and this is again i think a testament to how strong the songs are in a lesser band you don't really ever leave whatever key you're in you you play it safe there's a breakdown at like the three minute mark of that song they go to halftime and the bass starts doing these like out of key bends like like it's it's really cool and it's well done but if it was just any like sort of lame uh, session you know not very uh not very creative bass player they would have just stayed on the root note maybe throwing a little run in there but he does some really weird notes in that uh in that part of the song that you know you're three and a half minutes into the song you're doing a little noisy halftime section and you make it a little bit more interesting than just your average breakdown at that point that's that to me is a sign of like they're paying attention to all aspects because you can get into that for like you mentioned about formula with quiet loud you always get to the formula like first chorus first chorus bridge final chorus out like that's fine if you want to write four and a half minute alt rock songs but doing that makes it apparent that you're like paying attention to the little bits and pieces that are you know they're, it's not just a bridge we're also going to do or not just a breakdown we're going to do something a little bit unexpected in that section isn't the solo there backwards i don't the what the guitar solo it sounded to me like it might have been one of those backwards guitar solos and not as as i'm not a guitar player i have my doubts on whether i'm right but that's the feel i got from it and that very part you're talking about on can't keep the rain uh i don't think it's backwards uh he might it's be using weird. <laughs> like a, a a reverb like a reverse reverb to like create that like sound that like weird uh, but I don't like the backwards guitar has a very distinct sound um, where every note sounds like it's being sucked through a airplane engine. It's like, like it's got that like weird pull and that doesn't quite have it, but it has some effect on it. Definitely. Um, I think he's using an octave fuzz quite a bit on this record. So you get those weird like overtones where it feels like, yeah, yeah, it's got that like sucking sound almost and things just sound like they're about to go haywire at any second. When you use an octopus, I think that might be what's part of what's going on here. Jay, is there anything that doesn't work for you on the record? Well, I think I, it's more of like what I've mentioned, what the beginning of the record just, it's not there's nothing wrong with it. It just feels like a lot of other bands. And once I realized what the band was capable of, you know, I, I wouldn't mind if some of that energy was in wash it away. And I think x-ray is pretty cool, but she loves me in time ago. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of sleeps with angels. I think it's a nice, cool groove but again that could be any band to me it doesn't necessarily stand out as like the distinct sound i think i hear on things like can't keep the rain or thin white line or some of the others 
So there's a couple songs on here I think where they're well crafted. I get it. I enjoy them, but they don't quite get to the bar that some of the other material has set for me personally. I agree with you. I think there's just a couple songs where it's it's there, like the ones you mentioned, but it doesn't quite reach the peak that I would hope. Like She Loves Me sounds like a very good Kent song that Kent would have made a little bit better. Um, Sleeps with Angels. I, I like what's going on in that song. I would love it if there was like one weird change up part that happens halfway through the song. Um, go into a completely different tempo or time signature. Just so, throw something in there because there's not that it has to be wacky, but just like there are parts of other songs where they do something for a section. You're like, oh, that's that was an unusual choice. I like that. Um, and that song being that like kind of laid back, slower tempo could have just used a little bit more there but I, I know we harp on like song length and album length a lot but i feel like most of these songs earn their length there's there's not yeah. anything that's like blatantly um you know stretched too long which makes me worried about the director's cut where they added a bunch of time onto songs right right now if you're doing it as like like way failure does where you have like a little segue between tracks that totally makes sense but I don't need like another three minutes of guitar solos or what have you. I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't know what they did, but these these are feeling fairly tight. But when you look at the times, I mean, there are four minutes, pretty yeah. consistently four minutes. Anything creeps up close to six. But I'm with you. They're crafted in a way that they don't feel like four and a half, five minute songs. And then anything's got I, some stuff going on too. So it earns it. Yeah. They do a ton of dynamic stuff here where mm -hmm. they're always changing things up and adding something in or bringing another part. I mean, there's, there's a lot of dynamics to this record to keep you interested. Yep. If they cut a song, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it would make the song, the record weaker. I think it would strengthen it a little bit. I certainly don't, I'd have to listen to the extended version. I certainly wouldn't think that would work better for me than than this this version i know you said that this is in your top 10 albums but is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record yeah the um bring it on it's got the only cursing on the record and i don't think they needed it um i uh this guy's just my personal brand i don't try not to curse all that often uh if at all and when you need it as an artist cool go for it like i don't want to censor people's art but it felt a little uh unnecessary the outro there also that song's super super jarring but i get why because the album closer starts off all soft and acoustic and pretty and it's a really cool contrast so i don't know that i'd want to take that song out but i'd uh 
I probably want to bleep the radio unfriendly word. <laughs> it definitely is jarring between the two tracks, but I think it makes sense in the context of the record. Like it's nice to get that little energy burst. Yeah. I actually would have liked it maybe up a little earlier in the record. Um, yeah. Cause it's another song too, where like vocally it's way different and the yeah. way he's delivering the lines and the verse and just the way he's singing, it would be, Unhinged, it'd be cool to hear that earlier in the record of like, wow, this guy, okay. He's got his own voice. Like this isn't, you know, just, deliver the you know radio hit type vocal this is a unique singer um are you guys curious uh, about the pitchfork review for this record i am very curious i bet they hated it (laughs) does the world really need a duller angstier version of third eye blind Black Lab are also from San Francisco and play similarly overwrought modern rock, but lack the hooks that made Third Eye Blind million sellers. Add an unhealthy dose of gothy gloom and quasi psychedelic flourish, and you've got Your Body Above Me, 12 plodding, painful tracks, and not a decent melody in sight. 1.8 out of 10 by oh, Mr. That is Nick. The stupidest Miro. review I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> Well, you know, we can be wrong. It's okay. Here's the other. There's only two paragraphs. This is the second paragraph. Wash It Away has been getting some radio airplay of late. It fits quite nicely between the latest shit stabs by Tonic and Love Spit Love. First of all, don't bring Love Spit Love into this. Love Spit Love? What is he talking about? He clearly doesn't know what. I don't understand any comparison to Love Spit Love. Also, that record's good. But anyway. But it's only a matter of time until playlist programmers will actually listen to the song and say, wow, this sucks. The rest of Your Body Above Me is just astonishingly bad. The only marginal good tracks, Time Ago and Gates of the Country, sound like a reasonable facsimile of Toad the Wet Sprocket, which isn't much of a compliment in my book. X-Ray is what you 2 would have sounded like if Octoon Baby sucked, and All the Money in the World features the worst David Bowie impression I've heard since that karaoke bar in San Antonio. Brooding, cheekboned frontman Paul Durham has obviously never sung a syllable in his life that he didn't over-emote into oblivion. I'll take Stephen Jenkins and his lispy three-note vocal range any day. So that's your review from Pitchfork in 1990. <laughs> this is on the Wayback Machines because this is from 1997. Now, if uh, you're he, curious, he does over remote. So I, I, I will. Uh, sure. That part's not so wrong. I'd like you to know. In the world of pitchfork reviews, here are some that have earned below a two. That you might think, huh, that's odd that they gave that below a two. Like, for example, they gave tools lateralists a one point nine. OK, that's a little that's a little hurtful as a bass player that's heresy um they gave catherine wheels wishville a (laughs) 1.7 they gave the first audio slave album a 1.7 they gave they gave greta van fleet's album army anthem of the peaceful army a 1.6 and that's recent also um so earning a 1.5 creatures of the night by kiss um what else did i find in here that was just absolutely like why review rock records if you obviously don't like them yeah exactly <laughs> like why oh. are you wasting time do you think there's a lot of kiss fans reading pitchfork 
Why are you reviewing our records? This will be laughing week by Ultimate Fake Book, a 1.1. I, I don't I don't get that right. at all. Um tiny music songs from the Vatican gift shop, a point eight. Oh, I think that's their best record. I, I, me too. <laughs> Uh, it's the one that I, I listened to all the way through, or or at least the most songs off of now. Um, I mean, some of these are just like so incredibly bad in terms of reviews. Um, I mean, I, I get it. There are some really terrible albums, but giving Nine Inch Nails Things Fall Apart a point four. I, I mean, come on! It's still Nine Inch Nails. Despite Pitchfork, I still love this record, so they have not deterred me. Right? What is the um? Let's see. Now, Peter Chris's solo album got a zero point zero. <laughs> okay. So I kind of feel like that maybe is. Yeah. So did the Elder, which I disagree with, because there's some good stuff on the Elder. Um. So anyway, that was Pitchfork's review from 1997. People like the, uh, the hot takes even before the internet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that was, that was something recent. They got up. They were on a BBS board back then, and they were just slinging hot um, characters of <laughs> I don't know how you would make shit uh, in a on a BBS board. You probably have to create some sort of ASCII art. ASCII art. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's get into our overall ratings for this record were the album better ep or decent single jay where do you land i'm at a worthy album uh like this quite a bit i will be spinning it um and look forward to it coming up on my you know personal radio station and when the you know the algorithm decides it's time to hear it but uh, yeah i thought there was look it's they're not reinventing the wheel here we talked about this i think with oleander um but I think for what they are, it's really well done. And I think it turned my head a bit um, with, with some of the uh, some of the tracks in the second half of the record. So it was fun. What do you think, Tim? It's a worthy album for me as well. Um, I like it all the way through. I think there are some really strong set tracks in the second half, like you, which is not a usual thing. Um usually the second half of the records is where things start to fall apart. Mm -hmm. So it's nice that this actually, you know, stays together and is pretty listenable throughout. I mean, there's no track on here that I just want to skip. Everything's got something interesting happening. Um, what's interesting is this was released on vinyl by Geffen in 97. Hmm. It's a double album. It's a three-sided, and then they have like an yeah. etched fourth side. I was going to say, it's too long for vinyl, but that's, that's how. It has never been sold on Discogs. It's listed on there. One person is listed as having it, and 113 people want it. Hmm. But it has no history of sales, which is fascinating. I don't think I've ever seen that. Sure it wasn't like a promo? It doesn't say it's a promo. Hmm. That's the thing. I, I that's what I was looking for, and it you know that it'll say promo or yeah. club edition or mm -hmm. you know what it's not. So someone out there has the only known copy <laughs> of this on vinyl, 
because um, there's not even any pictures of it. I, my, I'm wondering if it's like a test copy and then they just never actually pressed it. <laughs> but since the person didn't put up any pictures, we'll never know. Okay. But this is this is now a white whale of trying to find vinyl because I'm sure the CD. Yeah, the CD you can get for 50 cents. The vinyl. Good luck. Like Liam Neeson in uh, Taken. Good luck. Or not, that's not Liam Neeson. It's the bad guy who says that. Yeah. Luca from Drapulia. Yeah. Drapulia. We're here to talk about the rates. Anyway, that's three worthy albums. Now, over at Patreon, it was almost a split vote. It's 5347 worthy album to better EP. And we got the comments going both ways, but definitely there were a few more in the worthy album category. But yeah, this was a good one, Mike. Appreciate you bringing it to us. Finally get to hear the record behind the cover, which is nice. Yeah, thanks for uh, squeezing me in. I know you guys have a little bit of a backlog, but we, I, I was going to say, they, there aren't too many CDs that I bought in 97 that I still listen to reasonably regularly, and this is this is one of the ones that even were I not going to have to talk about this with you guys, I probably would have spent it sometime in the last week anyway, because I love it so much. I do like the album artwork. Um, I don't know what style that is, that black and white, but it has a gothy kind of feel that is cool what do you do you know what that style is jay that like black like almost like, like a pencil or something yeah it's like a woodcut print got it so you would have cut that literally out of, out of a block of wood put ink down and then printed it fascinating fascinating stuff <laughs> if you would like to be like mike be like mike and uh suggest an album you can do that i don't know if we have any spots left to be honest people but you can check is it's all booked up i just plotted out the entire rest of our year and we don't have one spot for us to to goof around like we did with that uh i think that diamond series is going to be a once a year series (laughs) because we got so many patrons we owe records to yeah but i guess you could squeeze in and then we just we'd have to do the diamond series uh in a couple years when people start to retire like us well maybe we'll we'll hand it over to the kids and they can do the diamond series on their own uh if you would like to join you can go to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com for as little as uh, a cup of coffee a day no how much is a coffee i don't know i brought it at home what that said that commercial where you just one cup of coffee a week and pays for the whatever um what is it five bucks jay you get a sticker you yep. get to um join the union you get to vote in the polls like on this and then our monthly tournaments where 27 albums are whittled down to one you can join by going to patreon it's also where you can read the box newsletter another exclusive that we have which is a weekly newsletter of new releases uh albums books movies tv shows if it's related to the 80s 90s or aughts with regards to what do we do on the podcast we're we're going to do it in the calendar and you're going to get one minute reviews of two new releases every week the way albums enter our podcast tournament or enter enter the tournament for the podcast is at digmeoutpodcast.com you go there you drop an album you don't have to be a subscriber or a list or a subscriber you don't have to be a patreon 
member to actually take part in that. You just go to the website, fill out the form, and it goes into our hopper of hundreds of tens of millions of albums that came out in the 90s, and we're going to get to them all one way or another. Either our patrons are going to pick them or they're going to go through the tournament. And lastly, Apple Podcasts is where you go if you'd like to leave some positive feedback for this show. I want to remind folks that uh, Mr. Bankhead also has his own podcast. Should have pubbed that at the beginning, but I forgot. Mike, what is the name of your podcast? Can you share it here for our audience? It is called You Could Be My Aramis. And Tim was a guest. That was a fun one. That was, yes, it was a blast. I don't get to guest on other people's podcasts that often. Uh, So it it was fun to talk about books and music and all that kind of stuff with you. And you can go to what website to check out that podcast? Oh, I should know the answer to that, shouldn't I? I oh, the it's on show streaming notes, services? It's on streaming services. Okay, it's on streaming Look services. Look for You Could Be My Aramis. I put the show notes on my website, but that's, that doesn't host the actual podcast. Got it. All right. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.